Hello, and welcome to the Cultivating Confidence podcast. I am your host, Dr. Nicole Grams. I am a life coach who specializes in anxiety, health, and human design. And I also happen to be a functional medicine pharmacist. This podcast is a compilation of conversations that I've had with clients and colleagues. So listen in as we explore the mind, body, and soul's confidence in its many forms. So let's just start with a collective breath. So close your eyes. If it feels comfortable to you, ground yourself into your chair or your bed or your, wherever you are on the floor. I don't know. (laughs) Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And let it go. I had therapy earlier today and my therapist does this grounding thing at the beginning, which was my inspiration, but She's like, okay, and then we're going to count. She's like, in on one. I'm like taking a breath for one second. Like, no, the whole breath. And then figured it out on breath three. But anyway, (laughs) take another breath in. And just ground into your body. Notice if there are any sensations that you're feeling, any part of you that's drawing your attention to it. attention to what temperature the different parts of your body are the tip of your nose the back of your neck fingertips toes maybe your butt notice if you're cold or warm or neutral Just take one more breath in. When you're ready, come back. All right. So I think grief, I don't think everybody experiences grief at some point in their lives. And it can be about many, many, many different things. Um, there, I'm going to start out with the statement that there is no wrong way to grieve and there is no forcing things. If you're not ready to do thought work around it, don't force it. Like just let yourself be, cause I know we've all experienced different things, um, in our lives and like, they just know that <laughs> sometimes it's not time to challenge your own thoughts around what you're grieving about or what your, you know, any of that, any of that stuff. So blanket statement here, my opinion might not be, my opinion is not necessarily right or wrong or anything. And however you grieve, whatever topic it is, there's no wrong way to do that. Um, I wanted to start out with a couple of definitions that as I was doing some research to write down some of my thoughts and, um, kind of gather my presentation today, I found out, and I hadn't ever really thought about it, but grief and mourning are two different things. And I had kind of thought of them as interchangeable and some people definitely do. And in ways they are, but grief, I found as something that's felt internally so that you, you are like the container, your body is the container for grief. 
And then mourning is the outward expression that can be shared with others or shared with, you know, your pet at home or just by yourself, but it's, you know, talking with others, celebrating whatever changes or losses or in life of somebody who has passed or crying or like any of that sort of stuff that that is all considered to be mourning. Um, and there are a lot of misconceptions that I came across as well, that some of which I knew right away would, you know, apply to what I wanted to talk about. And then there were some that kind of surprised me. Um, the first one is that grief happens in predictable stages and that, um, the person who wrote the paper or whatever it was that goes through the five stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, you probably have all heard that. Like that was actually written about death. It wasn't written about the grief process. So that those are actually two very different things. And we'll talk about the difference between that if later, later on, I think it's probably in my notes somewhere. If, if not, remind me and we can come back if you want to talk about it, but everyone experiences it in a different way. And, um, there's no necessarily logical way to like experience one stage or the other or all of them at the same time. Like there's no progression that has to happen. There's no time frame that has to happen. And that's another misconception that there is around grief is that time heals all wounds, right? We've heard that a thousand times. Not even physical wounds can necessarily be healed with time. <laughs> There's so many different things. I mean, most, most change, at least they morph into a different thing or, you know, that sort of thing, but it depends on what you do with the time. What stories are you telling with the time you have? Because if you keep telling yourself the story about that shouldn't have happened, you know, I can't do this. You know, if you keep telling yourself those stories about whatever it is you're grieving, and I guess we should talk about the, let's talk about all the things that we can grieve. I have a list. Um, if any of you have any ideas, put it in the chat or unmute. Cause let's, I have found myself grieving some strange things through the years. <laughs> um, an obvious one is a death of family, friends, celebrities, people you don't know you can grieve the death of a lot of different people, right? Whether you know them or not, um, you can grieve relationships, whether that's just an ex who did you wrong or someone you had all these expectations for and loved or a divorce or anything like that. Any, even just a shift in the relationship. If something changes, like, for example, if you have a significant other who is in a car accident and now has a physical disability, you might grieve the relationship you once had, even though it's still with the same person and you still love them, but like, it's a different, any, any change like that is something that can be grieved. Um, you can grieve your old self and through the process that I have gone through in the past few years. And I talk about this a lot, but there've been a lot of times where I have had to grieve my old self, the loss of who I am in order to become the person I want to be. And that's a really hard thing to do to like, let go of the thoughts and beliefs and the habits that you have. Habits are another thing that people can grieve. Um, 
I've said this already, but a change in whatever like normal is for you is something that can be grieved jobs, job loss, job gain can be grieved. Um, changing where you live, your home school ending, you know, and then there's things like the future that never happened can be grieved. The past that should have been can be grieved. And like a lot of the like reparenting and inner child work, there's a lot of grief that happens through those processes. A lot of the time, not all the time, not every time, but there's also this like, well, it should have, it wasn't fair, you know, or, and we all kind of have that stage when we're doing some (laughs) inner child and reparenting work, um, pregnancy loss or the loss of your freedom. If you have kids, that's all a grief process, loss of money. I mean, there's so many different things that the, the list is basically endless. It depends on what meaning you apply to things and what comes out of it. Like all of the things <laughs> can be grieved just over like across the board. Um, but yeah, so af- now that we have the list of things that I have compiled, at least the, the time heals all wounds thing. I think that's where I was. Yeah. Um, there just isn't a timeline for you or anyone else that you should be over it by. Cause I have a friend who lost her mother many years ago now, and still regularly reposts on Facebook about her and about the grief process and how she misses her and all this stuff. And for a long time, I open honesty. I judged her for that. Like, oh, you should be over this by now because I definitely had this manual of how someone should grieve the loss of their mother. Like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> That's rude. <as> fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, through, through all of it, like I have learned not everybody is going to have, you know, okay, well, and, and we have a manual for ourselves. How long should this be taking me to go through this process? Right. Oh, it's been six months since I broke up with this person. Shouldn't I be over it by now? Like, not necessarily. It again, just depends on the story that you're telling yourself about what's going on and how you're choosing to use the information that you come up with about it and use your thoughts and use the feelings. Um, but yeah, there's no timeline for when someone should be over it or not over it. The, uh, something that does extend the timeline of the grief though, is resisting it. And grief is something that not many of us want to willingly feel. And therefore we push it away and it lasts longer, right? Letting yourself move towards grief or even just allowing other people to move towards their own grief will help it pass faster, but it has to be fully experienced in the body. And that doesn't mean it's going to go away forever, right? It's something that can keep coming up over and over and over again. There can be little triggers. There can be little, you know, anything can bring it back up. (laughs) And for me personally, um, some of you know this already, but uh, my grandmother passed away after Christmas on her birthday. So there's lots of meaning in all of that. And she was an amazing person. And there are still moments where I see something and, and 
she's not someone that I actually actively thought about every day, right? But there are things now, especially since it's so recent, that trigger me. And I just sort of, I've learned to allow that to happen, even in the middle of work. But there's a lot of just allowing, allowing myself to feel and almost indulging in it to help it pass through. And this is like watching myself through this grief process has been absolutely incredible because of the thought work that I have done, the hours that I have put into my own brain, I have this time around. And again, not necessarily (laughs) true of everybody that does thought work. I'm not saying I'm better than anything else. It's just my experience this time around. I've experienced what I like to call clean grief and it can be applied to clean pain, clean emotions in general, right? Um, What do I mean by that? So what I mean by that is for me this time around, although I didn't expect this death to happen, although I didn't want it to happen, I pretty readily accepted reality in that it did happen. It's still like an unbelievable thing, but it's something that I personally was able to say, wow, that's really shocking, but it happened. And what do I want to do with it now? Who do I want to be for myself, for my family? And I didn't resist the facts. And for me, what that looked like was not piling embarrassment or shame or blame or guilt on myself or on anyone else. And there are, there are certainly moments, (laughs) there are certainly moments where you want to blame and, and shame everybody and everything around you when you're going through the grieving process, but allowing yourself to accept what is actually happening and lean into the the strong feelings that you have will help it work through. And yeah, Chloe, you're absolutely right. The only way out is through. It's like that mold in the basement. If you just shove it down there without looking at it, it's going to grow and it's going to consume you. Right. But yeah, the, the self-criticism game that comes along with grief or like regret, regret is a big one especially if somebody passed and accepting for myself, even that I didn't call her very often. Right. I didn't spend a lot of time with her and fighting reality to me would look like, oh my gosh, I should have done all these things. If I had known Maybe that would have been different, but I didn't, I, I was, and and looking back on it, I was doing the best that I could with the information that I had, right? We take for granted a lot and that's okay. That doesn't mean we need to blame ourselves for what we didn't do in the past. And a question that kept coming up as I was making this, taking my notes for tonight was how can you love yourself more during your, during this process? 
And sometimes that's taking a nap because emotion, deep emotions are extremely <laughs> exhausting. And being kind to yourself instead of running yourself ragged whenever you, you know, at every turn, instead of distracting yourself, which is, you know, that was another misconception that came up as I was looking, keep yourself busy to avoid grief. I got, uh, hold on, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> to me, and uh, we've talked about buffering before, but that's exactly what that is right? Keep yourself busy, get out, do things, right? Buffering will keep you from feeling your feelings. And I'm not saying you shouldn't get up and go for a walk or go socialize or, you know, bring some sort of normalcy back into your life. But if you're not allowing yourself to process emotions, that's that buffering is only adding to the problems. Um, let's see what else. Oh, another full stop. Crying is a sign of weakness. Like get out of here, <laughs> man. I honestly think that crying is a sign of strength. It's a sign of allowing yourself to feel things. And that is such an incredibly strong thing from my standpoint. And it, again, it's a different thing. If you're resist, if you're crying because you're resisting feeling something else, like, like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it other than like, try it. (laughs) If you're resisting an emotion and crying out of frustration, that's a very different thing than just expressing your emotion by crying and allowing that to happen in your body and feeling into it. I guess, along with that, you shouldn't bring up the topic or person or name around the people who are grieving, right? Again, then again, that's something that how do I put this? Well, I mean, some people who are resisting it might not want to talk about it at all, right? Um but that doesn't mean that everyone falls into that category. And some people really that like processing it is talking about it. Like I have a friend who had a pregnancy loss due to medical issues that were found to happen with her unborn child. And she talks a lot about her journey, the abortion that she medically necessary abortion that she had. And like, I can't imagine what that was like. I mean, I can, cause she told her story, but her way of, of grieving was posting a lot about it, starting a group about it, talking all the time about her lost son. Right. But that doesn't mean everybody has to do that. Doesn't mean every breakup you have, you should start a support group. Although sometimes it might feel like like you need it. (laughs) Yeah. But just know that sometimes avoiding it might not be the best route and maybe ask, you know, are you ready to talk about this? Do you want to talk about this? If any of you have some ideas for how to be supportive while someone you love is grieving, Put them in the chat. 
because I have lots of ideas, but yeah, there's not, there's no good or, I mean, there are bad ways to support people in grief, but you know, there's, there's so many different ways to be there for people. So what, I guess, I don't know, like what, what do you want to hear from other people is in my opinion, how, how would you show up for other people? And sometimes that's just as simple as, Hey, I heard you're going through something right now. And I'm here. If you want to talk, sometimes that's, Hey, I'm buying you lunch today. What do you want? I'll be there in half an hour. (laughs) If you get rid of the things, belongings, or gifts, you'll forget that person. That was another misconception that I came across. I don't know. Have any of you read the Marie Kondo book, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, I think it was. Um, but it, she's got this Marie method from her name, but it's basically minimalism. And when I read that book, that was such an awe-inspiring thing for me because I was definitely like, oh no, I can't throw that out. This is from somebody special, right? This is this, the, I can't, I, nope, that's, I'm basically slapping someone in the face if I get rid of this thing. <laughs> but her, but Marie Kondo's take on it is you should only keep things around you that spark joy for you in the present moment, right? If they used to be good for you and they're not anymore, get rid of them. But along this line, especially if it's someone who has passed and they gave you this gift of some sort, the purpose of the gift is fulfilled the second they give it to you. That's it. And also, if you think about it, like if the roles were reversed and you gave them something, would you want them to keep it out of obligation? Probably not. I used to think it was super rude to return shirts and stuff that I got for Christmas. So I just got stuck with a bunch of shirts that I didn't like or want in my closet. (laughs) Do you think the gift giver really cared what I did with the shirt? No. Do you think any of them ever noticed that I didn't wear the shirt? Also, no. Could I tell you what shirt I got someone last year? Nope. (laughs) Get rid of it. But also letting go of things that represent a person or time of your life or something like that is not something that you need to hang on to. Like hanging on to things. um, Well, like, for example, my grandma was a hobbyist photographer and did a lot of landscape photography. She shot weddings. She shot all, I mean, you name it. She took photos for this, right? And I've never been terribly fond of the photos, although other people definitely are. And I respect that they're good for other people. Great. But I was like, I just don't like them. And she even gave me one, one time. And I was like, thank you. Mm. I don't display it because it's not my style. I don't like, I just, that's just the fact, right? It's nothing against grandma. I love that she loves photography, but also I personally don't need to have any of her photos, (laughs) just give yourself permission. And if you, if you do want to keep something for a reason, just like your reason, like it doesn't, I'm not saying you have to get rid of something just because you don't 
like the object that it is, but like give yourself permission to let go of belongings and items if you don't want to keep them in your life, because we often make it seem, or we all, we often like think that we're going to forget the person if we don't have this thing. And it might be a memory that might not come up as much if you don't have the item, but also like there's, there's no reason to keep something out of obligation or, you know, believe that you're going to forget all about the person. If you get rid of the thing. Um, so we talked about clean grief, self-criticism. Oh yeah. So along with clean grief, the self-criticism that comes up sometimes is, I mean, and this is applicable to more than just grief for sure. But if you're going through something, how do you want to look back at that time in your life? And just consider that because I was asked, I was asked that about something else, but it also applies to this, but as you get older and look back, like, how do you want to have treated yourself through whatever process it is you're going through, whether it's grief or otherwise, in this case, it was struggling. I was talking with somebody about struggling with business stuff, starting a new business. How do you want to look back and have treated yourself through this process? What do you want to remember about it and focus your energy on that instead of blaming yourself for whatever wrongs you have perceived that you've done? wanting to change the past. What did I mean about that? I mean, I guess that, oh, that's, that's something that contributes to, I don't want to call it dirty grief, but that is not how you get to clean grief by wanting to change the past, resisting the past. Um, Ooh, here's a, here's another thing. Fears brought on by the situation coming true for you. So for example, if you have some loss from, or if you're observing someone being lost from some health condition, I feel like cancer is a good one that sparks a lot of fears in people of like, oh my gosh, what if I get cancer and it causes health anxiety in you now, or it can COVID is a good example of this too. Oh my gosh. What if I have to suffer like this? What if this happens to me or my family? Right. And not that that's not a valid concern with whatever it is, you know, it might happen, but also the certainty behind whatever it is, we don't like, we don't have certainty. Certainty is something that's a myth that we have. (laughs) We don't know that we're even going to make it to work, right? We could get hit on the highway and then that's it. Plans change, right? The, the feeling of certainty often comes from anxiety and wanting to control things that we can't control. We want to be certain. Our brain wants to be certain. It wants to have predictable outcomes to things. And when we can't guarantee a predictable outcome, brain gets very upset about that and very 
graspy and desperate and anxiety riddled, right? But like letting go of the idea that we need to be certain about anything brings a lot of freedom. If you take it in that way, it can also bring more anxiety <laughs> if you let it, but really embracing the fact that we are not certain about anything. You've, you might've seen memes or TikToks or something like, um, it starts out with someone really sad or whatever, like, oh, none of this really matters. And then in the next frame, it's somebody saying, oh my gosh, none of this really matters. Like, let's go for it. <laughs> That's the same, the same with uncertainty. Um, money scarcity, loss of money. If you see someone lose it all or, you know, have to buy a new car that they weren't anticipating or, you know, something like that. There can be some money scarcity and tendency to hoard it. And money is not something that we've talked a lot about, but it's an energetic thing. Like if, if you feel like you have to hang on to it and never let it go because you will never find more of it or you'll never earn more of it. That's, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, looking at the math of things and feeling desperate or scarce or, you know, graspy, those sorts of things. And something else that I have observed through this process, and I think you guys will all relate to this, but grief, especially clean grief, allowing yourself to feel the loss and terrible feels that come along with it. Grief has the power to heal. If you don't pile the negative on top of it, if you don't pile all the garbage of the shame and the guilt and the everything on top of it, you can, there, there's like a reason that we grieve the loss of things or our identity, or, you know, it's because it meant something to us in some way, even if it was something very toxic, that doesn't mean that it's not something that can be grieved, right? How many bad relationships have we all been in? <laughs> it's still something to be grieved, right? <laughs> Dana, you look like you have something to say there. No. <laughs> well, you know me and my grieving of bad relationships. But yeah, yes. it is it is a process to go through though. And goes back to it's like the grief of it and processing and feeling all of it. And then almost a, getting to the point of a appreciating it. So you learn, it was like, a, it's, so it's learned instead of going back and doing the exact same thing over, yeah. so, especially if it wasn't a healthy relationship, we'll say, so <laughs> yeah. I had learning experiences. <laughs> yeah. Um, for some reason that prompted something in me about, um, sometimes grief can surprise you because you didn't think something meant that much to you. You didn't realize how much it meant to you. Can we circle back to how to help others with their grief? Yeah, absolutely. What questions do you have, Corey, or comments or? Um, well, it's kind of, um, well, okay. So my mother-in-law, she's, she went through like a traumatic brain injury kind of thing. And she's currently in a nursing home. And like, she's not ever gonna 
you know what I mean? She's not going to be the person that she used to be. Yeah. Um, and my niece, she's 12 mm -hmm. and I can tell she's really, really having a hard time with it, you know, but she doesn't really know how to deal with it and how I'd, I want to help her, you know, yeah. cause like I can see it, I can feel it. I know, but I don't know how to help her, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so question for you, what makes you think you can help her? Um, because I went through something similar okay. when I was a little bit younger than her. Yeah. So like, I can, I can see it, you know? <laughs> so looking back on, on that experience for you, what did you need then? What did you need someone to tell you? I don't really know because like, I didn't really get the support system that I needed. Right. Um, I was kind of told that like, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. You got to be strong. Like it is what it is. Oh, you know, like you I was strong. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to write that down. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> I wasn't really allowed to grieve and that's like given me you know un, you know just bad <laughs> bad feelings yeah. and that's what I don't want her like I told her you know like if you feel a certain way like you can feel that way you're allowed to have big feelings like you know don't let people tell you you're not allowed to feel a certain way mm -hmm. but I don't know what else I can do <laughs> right. besides be like, you know, Hey, I'm here for you, but you know how teenagers are, you know, she's not going to be like, Hey, like I'm having a hard time. She's going to yeah. you know, talk to her. I'm very articulate her. about all the emotions that are happening in my body. That's exactly <laughs> what 12 year olds do. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I don't want to be like, I'm here if you need me, but she's not going to be like, Hey, I need you. Right. I know I need to be more proactive and be, you know, there. So what does being there look like to you? I don't know. Um, if you had to guess, what might it look like? I guess being present, maybe just being, um, being, spending more time with her. Um, I guess just letting her know you know, that she's not going through it by herself and like that she has a support system, yeah. I guess would probably be the biggest thing because I don't feel like she has that at home. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where like, they don't really talk about it. You know, yeah. it's just, it is, that's what it is, you know? Sure. So I guess just being there. Yeah. Maybe take her out to lunch or something. Yeah. And sometimes like finding an activity, even like, I don't know really what 12 year olds do. I don't remember right. that whole time period of life kind of is a, is a blur, <laughs> for me. but, um, but even just like having some paints out and some paper or, you know, crayons, even, I don't care. Yeah, she's adults really big can, in art. Adult, adults that. can color. I don't care what you say. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's a very therapeutic thing, but sometimes like, I know that I, I love one-on-one -on -one, very deep, let's grab into the depths of the person I'm talking to. Right. You know that about me. We've done that before. Yeah. Not everybody's 
ready or willing to have that one-on-one face-to-face contact, right? So maybe finding an activity to do together, like coloring. So there's something that you don't have to physically face each other, especially with someone who's 12, who doesn't necessarily know how to process emotions, right? Yeah. Because I imagine, I mean, if you're anything like me, you struggle with it too, as an adult. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) So like having something to do to kind of distract the body while you dive in or just be there, maybe just expressing, I mean, these are just options, but maybe just expressing that you're having a hard time with it. Yeah. And maybe Yeah. And just open that up to like, Oh, you know, how are you feeling about everything? Cause I'm having a rough time. Yeah. Okay. That's a really good idea. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. You're feeling complete. Do you want to talk more? No, I mean, that's a pretty good place to start. Um, I've just been, you know, like, I know I need to do something. Like, I know I kind of beat myself about it. And like, I don't know where to start, you know? (laughs) So, well, and, and here's that moment where the story you're telling yourself is, I don't know where to start. But when I asked you, you knew exactly. (laughs) Imagine that, right? Yeah. Right. Not that that's ever happened before. No, but we, we tell ourselves and you're not alone in this. We tell ourselves, (laughs) I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do this. That's why I I often will just respond with, well, if you had to pick something, what would you start with? What would you do? What thought might be helpful with this? Like, oh, I can figure out how to help this other person. I'm going to get curious instead of putting a wall in front of me. of I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's a big wall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's go back to gotta be strong. Ooh, hate that. It's one of the biggest myths. I can't believe I didn't come across that in my research today. You gotta be strong. You don't have to be strong ever. If you don't want to, you can find strength in grief, in mourning, in growth. You don't have to, you absolutely can just say F the world. I'm out. See ya. See you next year. I'm just going to hold myself up in my room and sit there. That's not a wrong way to grieve. It's an option. People do it for years. Doesn't mean they're wrong. That's just what they're ready for. Or maybe they haven't learned about anything. So how can you be there for them without trying to change them out of this situation? How can you find strength in yourself through the process and how can you use it if you want to, to push you forward instead of staying stuck? And sometimes loss and grief are the fuel that some people need to really take risks for themselves and to really allow themselves to be themselves. Like, all right, mortality is shining in my face right now. What am I going to do with my life? Because nobody knows what tomorrow brings. This is on the 
none of this matters spectrum, the excitement side of none of it matters. So what I'm trying to think of what the quote actually was in the podcast I was listening to. It was something like, what, what could you do today to make it worth dying? What would make your life worth it today? How can you do more things that would make your life worth it? Even if it's just being nice to yourself. But sometimes that means, well, and, and, um, meeting with my financial advisor, one of the first meetings was, was, all right, well, if you knew you were going to die in a year, how would your life change? If you knew you're going to die in five years, in 10 years, in 15, right? How would your life change? And for some, you can take that as a challenge of, I want to live like that right now. Instead of waiting for the right circumstances, I'm going to create this life, this amazing life that I want. And some people hold up of like, oh, well, if that's all I have left, then what's the point? So how do you want to use the feelings and emotions and truths that you face? How do you want to use that in your life? What do you want your life to look like? Um, writing your own obituary. What do you want to be remembered for? And for some people, that's, you know, cute little lady who had a garden. For some people, it's, you know, I made a million dollars and helped so many people or did so many things or created music or created art. Or I want to have founded, you know, some, I don't know, I can't think of anything right now, but these big, amazing things in life, like, what does that look like for you? What do you want your life to be all about? And in the case of losing a person, whether that's a relationship or a death, how can you continue a relationship with the person? Because a lot of times we are, we think that having a death means that you lose your relationship with them, but relationships are really just the thoughts you have about a person. You can have a relationship with anybody on the planet, whether they are aware of it or not. I would suggest not being creepy about it, but, (laughs) but the thoughts that you think about a person are, are a relationship. It's literally one-sided and sometimes the two sides face each other and it is wonderful. And sometimes they don't, and it's not sometimes they don't. And it is wonderful, but amazing things can happen if you, and I have a friend who I talked with, um, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago, I'm not sure exactly, but she, um, she has been an intuitive guide for a little while. And she has channeled people's past loved ones and whatever. She lost her dad when she was younger and talks about how she has a better relationship with him now than she ever did when he was alive for so many reasons. Right. And whether you believe in that sort of thing or not, that's not what we're going to debate tonight, but you can still talk to people who have passed, even if they're still alive. Ooh, we didn't talk about grieving in advance. 
um, grieving a loss ahead of time. That's another reason that the grief process is different in every situation for every person, right? I have never grieved in this way in my life. I've grieved in other ways and I will probably never grieve in this exact way ever again, right? But grieving a loss ahead of time. So usually in this case, there's some sort of anticipation or preparation involved um, before this loss happens. And it could be a job change. Like you're really sad about leaving a job that you really liked to go on to hopefully something bigger and better for yourself. But you, you still have this grief process of losing colleagues that you really liked or really, you know, aspects of your job that you won't have as you move forward. So this anticipation grief is real. And it also can mean that once the thing happens, you're pretty much relieved of everything. And that, then that's it. You don't have to grieve anymore. And it could be, I mean, it could also apply to someone has major health issues and you anticipate that they're going to die sooner, you know, whatever, but it gives you time to process things. And whether that's a good or bad thing is it could be both could be either, but it gives you a chance to prepare potentially. And that doesn't mean that it makes it easier when it happens, but it's definitely like if, if you've, if you've had a chance and you've leaned into the feelings, a lot of that grief can happen before the event actually happens. And sometimes that's, I mean, it's the same thing to like worry, but in a very different sort of hopefully intentional way, but, but yeah, that changes how you experience grief after the event itself. Um, there's also collective grief, lots of people experiencing it at the same time, but that doesn't mean that it's the same for anyone. Um, I was talking with my therapist about the compassionate grief that I was feeling too. So thoughts about the grief that others are experiencing. And like I said, just because I was not that close with my grandma, doesn't mean that no one was, but when I think about the other people, that's where a lot of my grief lately has come from grieving their loss more so than mine even, but yeah. I guess the, the point of all of this is grief is one of those things that we're all going to experience. And with any luck, we'll continue to experience it because we get to stay long enough to experience more of it. Right. And treating it as something that shouldn't happen or try to avoid it is not going to serve us in any way. It's one of those negative emotions that is very, very strong and has a lot of power behind it. And you can use that power for good or evil, maybe not evil, but hopefully <laughs> we can honor ourselves through the process and feel the feels and be strong, but like not by force, like allowing yourself to feel exactly what you're feeling and knowing that you can change it and knowing that you don't have to rely on yourself you don't even have to rely on family or friends because sometimes those are not the best people to process grief with. And that's okay too. All right. I think I actually covered all the notes that I have. All right. In that case, let's just take a collective breath. Close your eyes again. Breathe in and then out.
one more time. In. And out. Tap into that vagal tone for a second. Let your body calm and relax in whatever way you can. Let go of something you don't need to carry with you. And celebrate your strength. Honor your strength. All right, ladies, have a good night. Thank you for being here and being open to conversation. I love it. Thank you for taking the time to listen in today. Many of you will be able to take the ideas that you've heard and apply them in your daily life. And that's really all you need. That's amazing. But for those of you who could use a little one-on-one -on -one help with how to make these things actually work for you in your real life, please reach out. The link to schedule a consult with me is in the show notes. You don't have to do this alone. See you soon.